Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Longtime Oregon State broadcaster, voice of the Beavers, Mike Parker, does a fantastic job. If you uh, listen to Oregon State sports, or maybe even if you don't, you have appreciated Mike Parker's play-by-play abilities. He's joining us now, longtime broadcaster, Mike Parker with us. How are you, sir? John, I'm well. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. You, you must have heard a little bit of a rant I went on because you were kind enough to text me and say, you're hot. Maintain that heat. Well, that was two days ago. I don't know if I can work up a, a heat on command, but, but when I think about what Stuart Mandel wrote on Monday in The Athletic, I, I can get worked up again. Let me ask you, because you're right, somebody who was walking through the I think it was the Valley Football Center, told me Mike Parker is on fire right now. He is just <laughs> blistering the national media. Uh, and, you know, and so what, like Mandel and some of these national guys, they're not here, right? They're not covering the Pac-12. They're not in the stadiums. They're not, and they're sitting at 20,000 feet saying the Pac-12 sucks, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 stinks, the Big 12's better, the Big 10's better. And after a while, it chaps everybody, I think. It does, John, and I, just for the heck of it, just to make sure I could get hot again, I went and looked back at what he wrote, and I actually have the paragraph that when I read it in the media room at Valley Football Center on Monday, I just, you know, I went off in the moment. Here's what he wrote, his lead in his 20 thoughts, and he's an excellent writer. He covers the national scene, so I understand that he won't have the same view as you or Wilner or Jerry Allen down the road or or, where I sit in Corvallis, but here's what he wrote. Quote, for Pac-12 fans who've suffered through six years of increasing irrelevance, first by annually missing the college football playoff, then due to recent pillage from the Big Ten, Saturday looked to be a rare moment in the spotlight. Yet again, the conference can't have nice things, unquote. You know, if that's the take from the, the amazing weekend in our conference, then I just feel that's ridiculous. As if, and I know in the age of relevance, and you got to make the CFP, and we have a media rights contract coming up and all of that, and we want to have the best possible value in that, and I suppose a player in the national championship picture helps that. I, I get all of that. And if it's USC, that's not helpful because they are gone. But on the other hand, the beauty of the college football season and even the greatness, I believe, I don't want to get too Bill Walton-esque here, but the Conference of Champions, the greatness of the conference is that part of the reason we don't get people as often through is it's too hard to navigate because it's too deep. It's too good. It's not terribly mediocre. I mean, the lack of more appearances in the CFP does not necessarily speak to the mediocrity of the product as much as how good the product, in a sense, is up and down the line that Arizona can go to the Rose Bowl and win, that Washington can go down the road, a double-digit dog perhaps, and win and that the Beavers can take Washington and USC to the wire and nearly knock them out of you know their chances to win. 
the conference is good, John, and I get tired of this idea that, in, and, and even his phraseology, for Pac-12 fans who've suffered through six years, we are not Pac-12 fans in the sense that we're all sitting around as Pac-12 fans on our given Saturdays as Pac-12 fans. We're fans of Oregon State, of Washington State, of Oregon, of Cal, of Stanford, of USC. Not Pac-12 fans per se. Now, in the end, I like our conference when it does well, but I'm, I don't think any Oregon State fan is going to be crushed that Oregon lost. Oh, they're, oh, I'm so sad Oregon lost. They were a good chance for us to get through to the CFP. No, Beaver fans, they celebrated that at Reeser Stadium because it's a rivalry, and you you don't want your rival to go to the CFP if you're not going to go. I mean, you... You're you're a fan, not so much of the Pac-12, but of each individual school within it. And in the big picture, you want the Pac-12 to prosper, yes, and get a good TV contract, yes. But on a week-to-week basis, I didn't experience, quote-unquote, yet again, the conference can't have nice things. I thought Saturday was an amazing weekend in the conference. Six teams ranked in the the college football playoff rankings more than any other conference in America. Why no love there? Well, that's a great point, but it, because we have reduced, John, and I, I haven't liked it from the start. At the beginning of the college football season, the promos on ESPN and elsewhere ask the question, who's in? As if the only thing that matters is who's going to be end up in that top four conversation, and it just isn't. Now, I suppose somebody could say, well, that's because you're at Oregon State and you haven't been in relevant like that. For Well, yeah, okay, maybe there could be an element of that. I can understand to a degree why an Oregon fan this week, oh, my gosh, we we were getting back into the CFP picture and now we're not. But I still hope there's a galvanizing sense for any fan that isn't maybe in that conversation right now to think about winning a conference championship, to think about going to a place called the Rose Bowl, a great consolation prize evidently these days. I just, I'm, I'm old enough and have enough reverence for that game and for the history of the conference to still think winning a conference championship means a lot, means something. And this whole idea, and after Michigan State lost at Washington, I read something in The Athletic that said, for all practical purposes, Michigan State season is over. Yeah. And, you know, they had 11 weeks to go. I just don't like reducing everything, John, to getting into that Final Four. Mike Parker with us, voice of Oregon State Athletics. Uh, Mike, I think you speak for a lot of Pac-12 fans that are fans of Washington and Oregon and other schools. It's frustrating every week, and now that the rankings come out, it's every Tuesday to sit and watch and hear, oh, Oregon lost to Georgia in week one, uh, you know, as if they should have been penalized all along for, for wanting to play a big game and play an important game. This this sport is broken. It's The system is broken, yeah. and I know they're trying to fix yeah. it, but, you know, now you have media and television driving the bus, and you got a lot of athletes in Olympic sports that will be affected by the possibility of UCLA and USC leaving to the Big mm-hmm. Ten. I mean, it's messy right now. Yeah, it is. And, and, and you, you, John, I'm surprised you used the word the possibility. Are you still thinking that, that it may not happen and that UCLA at least might be forced to stay? I mean, you use the word the possibility. You don't consider it a done deal? I don't until tomorrow. Now, I, I keep saying okay. 90%, but I was on yeah. the phone today with some administrators at UCLA, and I asked them for a percentage, and they said 95 And these were people that said 99 weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think the regents are probably going to try to save face, slap them on the wrist, 
give them a financial penalty, say you should have talked to us before you did it. But there, I just wonder. I wonder if the governor in California, who who can be a little squirrely, I wonder if the governor is going to put his foot down and, and make this an issue. Yeah, that's interesting, John. And what, what I found interesting, too, is I was preparing, and you're right, the sport feels broken in, in, in a lot of respects that you're touching on. But I was surprised getting ready for the Beavers to go down to Tempe and play Arizona State. I sort of looked back over the history of Arizona State in football and the controversial late Frank Cush and his methods and his era down there and the things that he did. And the, but along the way, I read about something that I wasn't familiar with and wondered, this isn't the first time Back in 1959, thereabouts, when the PCC dissolved before the formation of the AAWU and so on and the, the schools that broke off during a scandal, I know this is going way back in its ancient history, but it feels relevant in this sense. There was talk of something called the Airplane Conference, where Washington, California, USC, a few other schools were going to combine with the military academies and some other prestigious academic schools, I think Penn State, I mean, there were other, it was all over the country, and they called it the airplane conference because these schools would eventually have to take these long flights to go play their football games. That was in 1959, John, so it surprised me. It didn't happen. Somebody in the Pentagon put a stop to it, from what I read, but I guess the point is, it's broken, yes, and when I think about the student-athletes and the other sports that you're referring to and the, the road trips that they have no idea we really have no idea what that's going to look like and feel like for them. I think it's going to be ridiculous for them to have to undergo all of those. Uh, but they were talking about doing that in 1959, John. That surprised me. If if Oregon State wins this week, it sets up a huge rivalry game with Oregon. By the way, are we naming this thing? Are we calling it the game formerly known as the Civil War? <laughs> what are we calling it? John, I ask that question every once in a while, and don't receive a proper or good answer. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know if you've had a leader in the clubhouse at all back in the early days when that became a story. The rivalry game is what it is now. At some point, I feel like marketing opportunities are too great that something's got to, you know, something else has got to replace that. But as of now, I don't know. But the game formerly known as the Civil War, I guess, works for now. And you're right. If the Beavers do win, and that's another place, speaking of history, the Beavers have won one time in that stadium against ASU in the last 53 years, once. Now, they did beat Notre Dame in a game called the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's night of 2001, but they've only beaten Arizona State once there in 53 years. So they have sort of a – they have to buck history a little bit, but Jonathan, Jonathan did that last year at USC, and I'm saying he's going to do it again this time around, and the Beavers will go into that rivalry game at 8-3 and three with a, you know maybe a, one of the – the upper-tier bowl games in the conference to play for if they can find their way through that and win. I'm excited about whatever happens over the next couple of weeks. What a great job Jonathan has done and Trent Bray and transforming the defense, John. It's been fun to be around it. The health of Oregon State, I guess everybody's at that point. Oregon's dealing with it. Utah's dealing with it. Uh, I, you know, There were a few guys that went down last week. Uh, how concerned are you about the overall health of this team? Quite quite uh, but encouraged by the as Jonathan articulated Monday in his press availability it's cliche-ish but true the next man up philosophy that every program adheres to and preaches 
the Beavers had a lot of next men who had to step up, a lot of people who hadn't seen many reps, people playing positions they'd never played on the field, but because they're football players and were asked to do some things, actually performed them pretty well, albeit against a, a California team really scuffling and I really like Bill Musgrave and was sorry, you know, that, that he was let go the very next day. But, you know, he's had a rough run of it there offensively this year, not only this year, but in the past couple of years. So that had to be a tough call for Justin Wilcox. But even though it was against a, a Cal team that, you know, was struggling, I thought some guys in the heat of the moment stepped in and played well. And that shows that in the practices and scout team stuff that's going on, Jonathan and his staff are doing a good job to keep guys ready. There's still a lot of wait and see what ifs. I don't know much about you know status updates on on where the Beavers are heading into Saturday's early kickoff. But I do think they're equipped well enough, uh, even without some of the key guys that may not be back yet, I still think they can go down there and find a way to win. You know, Mike, it's been fun to see Jonathan build it to this point. Where's the ceiling? Do you think there's another? Like, he's taken immense steps from going from a two-win team to now a team that has got a chance to win nine regular season games, maybe ten if they win a bowl game. That is a huge leap. Um, we've seen, you know, is it now about sustaining that, or is there another step for him in the next couple seasons? I do think there's another step, John, and I think it's somewhat – it's somewhat similar to not necessarily what Dennis did. Dennis inherited it, and he, he'll be the first to tell you that Mike Riley and that staff left him some good players. He augmented it quickly with some junior college talent and energy and then just brought a swagger and a belief in the guys. And in two short years, in his second year, he's in that aforementioned Fiesta Bowl. Jonathan has gone about it. He, he didn't inherit what Dennis did, for one thing, but he's also gone about it a bit more methodically and I think a little bit more analogous to the run Coach Riley got on where in the mid-2000s, the Beavers had a four-year stretch where they were 36-17, and 17, and in 8 and 9 were playing that game then known as the Civil War with a chance to go. And back then that meant, not to the CFP, everybody talked about, you know, with a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, which is still for me in this conference and a longtime fan of what it means to play in the Rose Bowl. That's still, when you talk about a ceiling, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, there'll be a player in the CFP next year or soon. I'm talking about winning a conference championship, and I believe Jonathan is building towards that kind of program where this year, you know, you I know the Beavers pulled some things out of the fire uh, in Northern California this year, so I know you could argue, well, you know, they're 7-3, and three, but they could be 9-1. and one. Yeah, but they could also, you know, they could be 5-5 five and five right now, too. I get that. But I think... The way he's gone about it, John, he's building towards a team like Riley's teams there in the mid-2000s and late that were relevant into the final week to win a conference championship, and I think he's going to get there soon. I really do. Sun Bowl representatives will be at the game on Saturday in Tempe. I was told mm -hmm. by somebody at Arizona State they aren't coming to see ASU. <laughs> um, is, is a Sun Bowl, because it's a step up from the L.A. Bowl, I mean, obviously, you'd like to win win out and do the best you possibly can. Is a Sun Bowl a step in the right direction? Absolutely it is. I, I will say, selfishly speaking, that, you know, that I've been to two of those, and they're great. The people in El Paso do it. I mean, it's an it's a underrated bowl experience as far as I'm concerned, just in terms of how they embrace the event and even the fact that you, and I wasn't aware, 
I hadn't heard that there would actually be Sun Bowl reps there. But that's not – we don't see quite as much of that anymore. You know, the the jacket's on, and you know that they're representing bowl games. That used to be something we, we would look forward to in that 2000s run where you had a chance to get to a postseason game and the bowl reps would come around. That's still part of the tradition, and I like the Sun Bowl. It's one of the older bowls, and we've had two great experiences there in my time at Oregon State, and I know we'd have another good one, and it would be a step up. I will say that uh, the Holiday Bowl, I've heard, exists, and I think I see scores of games of teams that play in that game. I've never been there. I'm not really sure it's real. That's the one bowl game someday, somewhere along the way, of other of course, than the granddaddy itself that I'd like to see, and somehow, some way, I was hoping, I think with one more win this year, the Bees might have been in a position, if not to challenge in Vegas for the conference title, to maybe get themselves into that echelon. But whether they stop short of the Alamo again, or Vegas, or the Holiday, the Sun Bowl's definitely a, a big step up, I think, from last year. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun to watch this team, and you know, I, I'm, I'm eager to see where they go from here. You've done a fantastic job this season calling these games. Are you still having fun? You know, if I go back and Mike Parker 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where's your level of joy in calling a game right now versus before? You know, John, I think if anybody heard the call um, that I had uh, when Treshawn Harrison stole the ball away and then ran down the right sideline at Stanford yeah. before, I, I don't think anybody would say, boy, he – He's certainly not enthusiastic about his job anymore. I, I don't think they would come away with that impression or Coletto scoring on the final play at Fresno State. The moments are sweet, John. I, I've loved college football, college sports, you know, since I was seven or eight years old, and the opportunity, the honor to get to call the games for the Beavers and moments like that. They're uh, no, I'm not. It, it's as joyous as uh, ever before, and uh, I'm loving it and grateful to be doing it. I want to play that call. Here's Mike Parker, Treshawn Harrison, Oregon State with the game winner at Stanford, 28-27. Ben takes the shotgun snap. Bill Branson throws down the right sideline. And over the shoulder catch by Harrison, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Beavers! Treshawn Harrison, the catch, 13 seconds to play. The Beavers take the lead. There it is. Uh, man, it, he, they made a play. I got mad when people say they stole the game because I said, no, 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 that's you, – you, Treshawn made a play. Gulbertson made a throw. Yeah, yeah, and, John, the other thing, too, there was 24-10 going to the fourth quarter on the road. And not only did Gulbertson, who I think has grown each week uh, – you know, people have argued about quarterback play. Well, if you if a healthy chance and maybe chance without some of the the issues he was having earlier, you might be a nine and one team right now. If quarterback play was a little bit better. Well, you know, in that game at Stanford, down twenty four ten going to the fourth, the throw he made to Silas Bolden to begin that comeback was it was a great catch. Don't get me wrong, Silas made a brilliant catch, but the throw was perfectly made in a perfect spot for Silas to at least have a chance to get that touchdown. And then I thought he operated that last drive, completed three passes with no timeouts. And, yeah, Harrison made that play, and it was spectacular. But Ben put the ball up where Treshawn could – his guy could go get it, and the rest is history. Stanford blew their coverage. The safety should have come up and tackled Treshawn, and he kind of inexplicably slowed down, and Treshawn scored. Yeah, I get that. But you're right, John. The Beavers made plays in both the Fresno State 
and Stanford games late, big plays, to pull those out. I want you to have fun this weekend. Go have fun in Tempe uh, and uh, bring Oregon State another win. Uh, would set up a, If Oregon wins, it sets up a hell of a game formerly yep. known as the Civil War. So I look forward to that. <laughs> John, I appreciate you having me on. and love what you and Wilner do. And keep up the great work covering this great conference. You guys do a great job of it. Thanks for doing it. Mike Parker, there he is. Follow him on Twitter. I tweeted out his handle. And uh, catch him on the Beaver broadcast. He is always interesting, always fired up. Uh, and uh, and really good at what he does. I want you to leave it right here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I've been telling you all day to make appointments. I hope you kept your appointment and you heard Mike Parker, voice of the Beavers. Coming up, Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach, top of the hour. Later in the show, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State coach. On tomorrow's show, Dan Lanning, University of Oregon head coach. He'll join us in the 4 o'clock hour tomorrow. Uh, we got big guests tomorrow as well. Kelly Graves, uh, Oregon women's basketball coach, will be on tomorrow. Also, I've been exchanging voicemail messages with John Robinson, the longtime USC head coach. He and I keep missing each other. We have an appointment tomorrow, speaking of appointments, to tape an interview that I would like to play on tomorrow's show or Friday's show. So big guests all week long. I appreciate you being here for it. Josh in Vancouver called in about a half hour ago. He wants to talk about UCLA. Josh, what's on your mind? So, John, I got, I got, I would love your feedback on a thought that I have, and then uh, I wanted to share just an opinion on, on a similar topic related to the Pac-12. But first to the UCLA thing. So the first thing I'm curious about is the further and further that you dig into the move with UCLA and the Regents and everything that they're kind of discovering, and, and the more that you kind of start peeling this thing back to find that there's really not the, a financial, equitable, large jump that justifies them making this move, um, I'm starting to question if part of this move is wrapped up in uh, personal motivation and gain for administrators that mm. could see this as an op- opportunity for them to cash in personally financially. And okay. what I mean by that is is the minute that everything goes into effect, they make the move, more money is going to be you know, put in and infused to UCLA the first thing that all these administrators are going to be pointing out to their bosses and the conference and the presidents and everybody that decides what paychecks they get is, well, our job's a lot harder now. Yeah. All right. All right. You're going to, I got to cut you off because I got to get the break. It's a great point. And I think you're right. I think that there are some interested parties here. We'll get more into it in the four o'clock hour. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.